Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you're free to focus on the areas of your business which you're most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to episode number 50 here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is rodeo and PBR Velocity Tour entertainer, Mr. Matt Merritt. And in this episode, we cover the oh-so-familiar topic of life on the road. Through Matt's experience of traveling city to city came the idea of his podcast titled Roadcast. Now, I'm a huge fan of his show and look forward to every single episode he's got to publish. His episodes are 45 minutes of uncut audio with some of the best people in the bull riding and rodeo way of life. To see more of what Matt has to offer on his Instagram and Twitter accounts, visit MattMerritt8, and it's M-A-T-T-M-E-R-R-I-T-T, the number 8. His Facebook account is under Matt Merritt, and his website, MattMerrittEntertainment.com. As always, we appreciate the support of each and every one of you listening to this show week in and week out. We have some big guests coming up in the next few weeks. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hope you enjoy this show. Please share it with a friend, and we hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Matt Merritt. Matt Merritt, how are you doing this morning, sir? I'm doing really good. I'm, I'm sitting in a gym, but I'm not working out. It's just the most quiet place at this hotel I'm at. <laughs> I was going to say, life on the road, right? You got to find a quiet place when it offers itself. Yeah, the hotel we're at, too. I, I, I wouldn't mind. Uh, so I'm in Costa Mesa, California, which is uh, south L.A. The high here is 77. It's just beautiful weather here in uh, early August, but I'm directly across the street from John Wayne International. So if I were outside trying to record this, it would be just uh, playing after playing after playing after playing. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, you getting any sleep or they landing them through the night? Oh, I don't really, I'm not, I'm that guy. I can sleep pretty much through anything. Um, as long as it's dark, I don't like, uh, another California issue I'm having right now is the, the, the lights in our hotel room are, on sensors and i'm thinking because i don't know i'm not trying to knock california but i, I think there's some rules here that may be a little bit over the top and they uh, I'll say have you, have you had the experience of paper straws yet <laughs> yes i have and the, <laughs> and the lights man if you like move your leg too much in bed the light comes on in the middle of the night and uh so we finally after three days of being here we, we realized you can take the curtain and then that little lock that that's on a hotel door yeah. and you can you can sort of rig up this thing that blocks the light with the curtain. And so I've had a lot better night or two lately. Little, little James Bond operation just to get a quiet night's <laughs> yeah, sleep. Yeah, huh? exactly. MacGyver. Good stuff. So you mentioned you're out in California. You're kind of on your West Coast swing or your summer run. Um, what's been new for you the last couple of weeks? Uh, well, I have – I left home on July the 2nd, and I'm, I'm going home on July the uh, – excuse me, August 
no, September the second, I think. I don't know. I'm going for like 58 days, 60 days, something like that. And, uh, well, first place I, I left and went to was Folsom, California for the 4th of July rodeo there. And then I left and went to, you know what? I don't remember where I went. I went to oh, Nephi, Utah, and then to Salinas, Salt Lake City, and then back to California where I'll be here in Costa Mesa until oh, August the 5th or something like that. And then... I'll pretty much stay in California or Nevada until until very, very late August, and I'll finally get to go home. So it's pretty tough uh, with the family, but it's also also a sacrifice that we know we're getting into, you know? Absolutely. So what do you do? I mean, life on the road is difficult, right? Especially when you're going and stretches it 60 days at a time. Uh, you got any kind of routine that kind of helps you keep your batteries charged, you know, so you're not getting worn out? I mean, I try to do a lot of different things. Um, so... So you got to imagine like every event's so different. Like let's say for instance at Salt Lake, um, it's the days of forty-seven Cowboy Games and Rodeo, and it's this huge. You know, everybody it's a WCRA Rodeo, and pretty much every contestant there is a celebrity, and in the Western sports world, and um, they're paying out one point two million dollars and giving gold medals. So the rodeo itself is a really big monster of its own kind. So me being an entertainer and a clown. Typically, uh, I'm much more involved in every show that I go to where I will go and, um, you know, I'll have big acts to do or a lot of time to kill. And, and I'm, I'm more of a major player in the performance. Well, there, I'm only there if the wheels fall off. So they're using me more for TV interviews and, you know, dress up in your makeup and go do the weather with the Salt Lake news lady or whatever, you know, and try to try to gain some uh, exposure in the, in the community to sell more tickets is maybe what I was doing more. So, so at Salt Lake, I tell you all that to say that I, I kind of get thrown off my normal routine because I have to get up at five thirty every morning and go do television, yeah. and then another one at lunch, and then you know, then I got to go make an appearance, uh, maybe give a tour or something before the show, and then I'm dressed, and then the show happens. Um, but then, however, like here in Costa Mesa, much different. This is a uh, the Orange County Fair in in Southern LA, and they have we do a one hour show at the fair, so it's literally fifty nine minutes on our second performance, and it's a lot of me, but I don't have anything to do all the rest of the day. So I will get up in the morning usually and get some coffee, and then I'll try to. I don't do it all the time. Don't think I'm some big workout guy, but I like to work out. <laughs> I work out as as often as I can. It doesn't yeah. make me feel a lot better. Yeah. And then uh, after I work out, I'll usually go get another shower and kind of just start my day. Maybe think about going for some lunch or whatever. And I know it sounds really difficult. It's like it's like we get these big payoffs doing what I do, where where you don't work that factory line type yeah. punch a clock thing. But at the same time, I, I don't get to go home and have dinner with my chi- my children and, and spank them because they did a bad job on their homework. You know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of would like to get to do that sometimes. But I was going to say, the, all, of yeah. it, all of it comes with a sacrifice, right? Because w- when you have that traditional nine to five, right, you're welded to the demands of whatever your job is, you know, whereas your job, you have a little bit more freedom. But in that freedom comes that, I mean, two months away from your family, right? Kids are getting ready to go back to school. The wife's running a whole entire household and all the animals and everything on her own. And uh, dad's thousands and thousands of miles away and only accessible by a phone call. So it, it's definitely, 
it's, it's a give or take kind of approach, you know, and I think folks on both sides of the fence have aspirations of, of peeking over that fence every now and again, seeing what, what life's like on the other side. Yeah. My, one of my really good friends, Logan back home, he, um, he runs a, uh, he's a manager for like an equipment rental place where, you know, like large construction firms would rent from him and, uh, he stays pretty busy and his phone rings and he's doing emails all the time. And he's got that, he's successful. He's got a pretty good job and makes decent money and, but he's busy. So I, I was golfing with him one time. We hang out together a lot and we, we start talking about this thing. And so, so my kids are homeschooled, right? My wife homeschools my kids and, uh, we did the math on it. And even with me being gone for 90 days consecutively, which I've done before, uh, in, in a number of hours spent directly with my children, I beat him by quite a bit because we have home, homeschool takes way less than, uh, regular school with a lot of other kids, right? Mm-hmm. You're just mm-hmm. focusing on what's going on. So my kids, four or five hours and both of them are done with school. And I was there. I don't, I don't, my wife does all that, but I'm there with them and sort yeah. of helping a little or working around the house. And, um, Really, if you think about it, a normal nine to five guy. So this is the blessing I found in it. The nine to five guy, he, he does see his kids every day, but literally maybe in the morning to help them pack their apple in their lunchbox and head off to school. And then right after school, like I said, to, to do homework and eat supper and then everyone goes to bed. So it may only be two hours a day you see your family, which I don't get that. But at the same time, uh, there's other times where I might get. 16 hours a day for four months. Yeah. You when know? you're home, you're home, you're involved, yeah, so, you're around. So, right. I think you're, you're right. It's, it's sort of how you want to measure it. Um, it's not really fun. Hey, let me ask you this. This may be unprofessional of me, but when will you air <laughs> this? When will you air this podcast? Uh, this is going to air, uh, this Sunday. So it's going to air tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. So, so we'll get a quick edit and quick turnaround on it and, and it'll be so up I'm and running. Gonna, I'm going to take a really crazy chance here. Go for it. My wife, as I, we're celebrating on August the 7th, our 15th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. I know, and I'm not going to be home. So yeah. uh, I actually have an event in uh, Nevada City, California, Grass Valley that mm-hmm. night. So I said, uh, I was trying to figure out how to do it, and I was asking her if she could come see me. But she has this beach trip planned with her family. Uh, a bunch of her different cousins and stuff, they're taking campers at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And anyway, I... Uh, so I planned this trip home. So um, she doesn't know it. I'm going to surprise her on, on the beach. And that's why I asked you when this was going to be recorded. I'm going to get there Monday morning at about 1040. I'm going to do a red eye out of L.A. here Sunday. And I just, uh, I'm sure she will be so busy with kids that I'm, I won't get caught. But I'm really excited. So <laughs> it's like, I'm taking, I'm, I'm like kind of nervous even talking about it. But, uh, uh. That's a big sacrifice, though. But right, it, that, that that's what matters, and that what's per, that's what is per, providing the value, you know, with your relationship with your your wife and and making that. That's a huge effort, right, to basically interrupt your whole entire work schedule, jam halfway well, across the country. Yes, twenty eight hundred miles from L.A. to Myrtle Beach, I think, or something. Yeah. So I tried to. I wanted to get a jet ski. I thought it would be so cool if I could just roll up on the beach, What's just up? beach that yeah, sucker, and jump off with fireworks, or what. <laughs> yeah, maybe wear my cowboy hat and tip it at it, ma'am. Uh, that's a pretty romantic entrance right there. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Well, congratulations on the anniversary. I mean, that's a big deal, especially given everything in, in the world going on today and, and the sacrifices that you make being in the Western world and being out on the road. It, 
it puts strains on relationships. So for you guys to put together 15 successful years is a big deal. I think uh, I think the person left behind at home has to be the tougher one, right? Yeah. I yeah. really do. I think that, uh, and I'm not trying to do that to 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 fluff her there or make her feel better or anything. I mean, I seriously think so because I'm out here with people and an agenda, and I have um, I have an event, right? I know what time it starts, and I know yeah. what I need to be doing, and and I have people that I hang out with that I'm glad to get to see, and that changes every week. So I'm with new, fun, and exciting situations of people. She's she's in the monotony of home life, and being a homeschool mother, she she doesn't have a boss or a, a calendar that's made for her. She doesn't she she does whatever she needs to do the way it needs to be done as it comes. So there's no way I don't think I could do her job. So. And mm. and I always say behind every strong man is a stronger woman. And I have a lot of guests on this show that are, are uh, veterans or law enforcement, you know. And we always talked at the uh, same exact point that I think it's more difficult on the wives because when as, as a law enforcement officer or if you're deployed in the military, right, you – there's missions and planning and training and everything in preparation for this event, right? And all your wife gets is a is a kiss goodbye and out the door and she doesn't know any of this stuff, Right. Yeah. who you're up against or what you're up against or how long you're going to be away. And and there's no preparation for that that she can do, right? And, no. uh, and, it, and it does take a special woman to to support, you know, law enforcement, military, professional athletes alike because it's just a different way of life. Yeah, I can't imagine, like, what it would be like, you know, some people that are like, in the Marine Corps or whatever, and they, yeah. they're gone for two years or yeah. – you know, like your your wife's pregnant when you leave and you come back and your child's talking and eating hard food. Like yeah. you never even met it. Like it's yeah. possible. So uh, I, w- I would never. Uh, I'm sure there's some similarities, um, and and the things that that they deal with. But but I I feel almost feel wrong for comparing what I do to what they do just because of the the sacrifices the they make of it, and yeah. the, the the legitimacy to. You know, they're they're providing the entire world with safety and, you know, they're putting their life on the line. Well, what I'm doing is quite a bit different. I will say one thing that I, I, I went on a um, a hunt, a bear hunt in Maine with a bunch of wounded warriors. So there's this place called House in the Woods up there. It's a really cool thing. And mm-hmm. they take guys with P- PTSD. And uh, you wouldn't believe what four or five days together with a bunch of other guys sitting around a campfire will do. It's not the hunting bears. It's more the camaraderie and it starts bringing out that you know they start to talk but but after talking to them they go through something that i think we go through and in my business where i'll go to a a show and um there'll be ten thousand people having the time of their life at at an event and then all of a sudden the last bull leaves the arena they do like a closing thing and we just go to our hotel so you were just in front of ten thousand people I was on a microphone. I was talking. It was so fun. It was like adrenaline rushing. And then now I'm just sitting in a room by myself looking around in the dark, you know, like yeah. watching The Office or something. And it's just for them, they said that, that and I'm, I please don't anyone listening to this think I'm comparing myself to them, but it's the closest thing I could imagine what they might go through. And he said that they, uh, he said, man, they teach us how to shave. They tell us, put the shaving cream in your hand. Put the shaving cream on your face. Shave. Stop shaving. Rinse your face. Like they teach them robotically how to do everything. And then all of a sudden, you're, you finish your four years of service or whatever you signed up for, and it ends. And you're just looking around like, oh, man, uh, I don't know what to do or how to act. And so 
I think that's a trap any anybody can get in in their careers. I mean, you, sometimes I think you, you got to keep one eye on what's going on around you and other other places and other things that are happening, or you'll get caught in the monotony of, of any job, right? Does yeah, well, I, th- I think folks get so overwhelmed with their identity, right? They identify as as a military or law enforcement member for you, right, as a rodeo entertainer and. So much value is placed on that identity, but then once that separation takes place between your identity and your purpose, and then now you're just tossed back into quote unquote civilian life, um, you lose a lot of that value or perceived value in yourself, right? And that's where that's where the disparity takes place. Is it one day you mean so much to everybody that you lead, right, in high risk combat situation, and now you're home and nobody cares who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a huge hurdle to overcome. And I think in my experience and talking with a lot of veterans, that's that's a huge challenge as far as step one and coming back and reassimilating to civilian life. Yeah, that was a that was a reoccurring theme with all those guys that I was able to hunt with up there. So uh, it's a serious thing. And I don't know if any, you know, any of us have a way to help those guys. If you run across them, you know, um, Sometimes just listening to people helps. That's what they were telling me. I mean, we, we broke down like there was some crying and stuff at that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it was – I had no idea. Like, I, I love to hunt, right? That's mm-hmm. one of my things I like to do. So, I was selfishly excited. Oh, my, I might get to get a bear rug. This is going to be so cool. And I was really kind of thinking about myself. And then it's going to be neat to beat these guys, sort of, I felt like. Man, I left there. It was It was pretty – Puts life in perspective, pretty, doesn't it? Yeah, it's pretty serious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some situations that I, I met a guy. He he was injured twice by like got blown up by these IEDs and stuff. And then he comes home and he gets through it and he's still in the service. But then uh, he's a drill sergeant and it's his job to scream at people and make them work harder and get in shape. And uh, one of the guys, I guess he he called him overweight or fat or something, and he. The guy goes and kills himself, and so now he deals with that because I don't I don't know that he was wrong for what he did. You know, he just yeah. you know how they scream at you yeah. in, the, in the military, and and then he he just he feels like he he killed that guy, and it's he was doing his job. So they they deal with way more than we we know, and uh, and that's the hardest part, right? Is it for the majority cool. of us, we'll never we'll never get to see or know that side of it because some of those secrets are held tight and they go to the grave. Mm-hmm. You know, it's difficult. <laughs> So let's talk yeah. a little bit about. I want to, I, I want to kind of explain who you are and how you got got it to your position as a, as a rodeo entertainer. So if you don't mind, give us a little bit of history of who you are, kind of how you got started in the business, and and we'll move on from there. Well, um, grew up in Louisiana. I was born there in North Louisiana, so I was about thirty or forty five minutes from Texas and same distance from Arkansas. And so that little part of the world. Um, I would say rodeo is not the most uncommon thing. Um, and I, I was born in a town called Minden. And then by the time I'm fifth, sixth grade, we're living in this town called Heflin, Louisiana. Um, little bitty small place. And uh, there was a guy there named Jolyn Robinson who had the two by four ranch. And it's a Christian camp slash rodeo arena. And uh, he, he had been a professional cowboy back in his day. And, um, over time, he, he'd gone through some pretty rough spots in his life, and he's got all good to go, and he built this place. It was his family's, and then he added to it, and um, he made a basically this retreat camp with a Western rodeo theme to it um, for kids to come to, right? And um, being that close to my house, 
I would always go down there and hang out. I, would, I could I could walk down there. And it was about a mile. Um, so I could hang out with those guys and I had boys that rode bulls and steers and things, you know, so I got to hanging out with them. And um, then my mom starts dating this guy that uh, my mom and dad had divorced when I was a little kid. But she starts dating this guy that announces rodeos. And I'm probably 14 or 15, and I go with him to Missouri to a rodeo. And I remember watching, and the clown was out there telling jokes and being funny. And that was more up my alley. Like in school, I was in, I was into speech, and uh, everyone says you're the class clown. And I guess maybe I was, but it wasn't like uh, – I don't, I don't know. I just – I did not mind being in front of people. Uh, I actually I kind of craved it and um, – Trying to be funny and creative was something that just worked for me, even as a kid. So I, just, I said, hey, does that guy get paid? And he was like, yeah, I got that guy. <laughs> He's like, crack I got that guy. And I went, really? I said, well, I want to do that. So not very much time passes, a couple of years, and I'm kind of dabbling and going around with him. And I uh, did this one time. I went into an arena in Doverly, Louisiana, not too far from where I grew up. And I didn't wear a microphone or anything. I just went out there and sort of like pantomimed and got in a clown barrel and got hooked by a bull a little bit and just, I don't know, just acted stupid. And and I didn't get paid. I was just something to see if I even liked being in the arena, right? They were kind of, my buddies were daring me. By now, I'm, I'm a teenager. Um, so then the next, that two-by-four ranch hired me, and they gave me $75 to do this little, it was just a little Christian rodeo thing. And. I told a few jokes and did a few things. And uh, then I went to Arkansas, North Arkansas. And I remember, I'll never forget, they gave me, it was two nights and they gave me $200 a night. So I got 400 bucks. Really, honestly, probably my first real job that I ever had doing this. And I thought, and this is 1999, 400 bucks in a week for, for somebody where I'm from in Webster Parish, Louisiana. That was like, it was a pretty good little Starting bit. Starting to make a little bit of money. Yeah, I was like, I couldn't have made that in any job I would have gotten as a seven or 19, however old I was, kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I, there's just no way uh, 400 bucks was going to go a long way. So I thought, I'll never see a poor day of my life. I'm I'm in it now. Yeah. I'm, fix, yeah. I'm fixing to be somebody. So uh, <laughs> Here we go. So I started uh, doing that. And then as things um, begin to progress, this guy, here's someone's coming in the gym. Oh, it's all good. It's all right. Uh, the guy helps me get a few rodeos and stuff. Well, then we end up in North Carolina and, uh, I, I don't want to go too deep into the story, but he mm-hmm. ends up, he and I end up parting ways. Pretty, pretty bad situation. He leaves. Um, he goes back to Louisiana, him and my mother, they're not dating anymore. And I end up, uh, getting it. Uh, he leaves North Carolina actually. And I find a way home later. And, after that, and I, I took off, uh, and I'll say the guy that helped me, he showed me so many things. Like he helped me in more ways than I could probably ever imagine. He helped me build a career. But another thing he did is he showed me some things not to do. Um, so I was lucky as a young man. So again, I'm not going to say his name or what he did, but some oh. of the stuff and the decisions he made, I think I wish he wouldn't have for his own sake. Uh, but but I was so lucky that I think I had a pretty good foundation as a child uh, that I knew I didn't need to go down that road. I saw it as like, oh, I better not get into the things he got into. I better, I better go this direction. Yeah. 
So I stayed pretty well on the right side of the road, not to say that I'm not an idiot. I haven't made a bunch of mistakes, but I sort of stayed on the right side of the road there. I cared a lot about my job. I try to always find my own way and be myself and be innovative. And uh, if anybody listening doesn't really know much about Western sports, rodeos, bull ridings, uh, my job is to fill the dead air in between with, with entertainment, whether it be comedy or whatever. And uh, I've always tried to not copy people and come up with my own material. It's sort of, I sort of feel like I'm a late night TV host or, or, or like a stand-up comedian almost where I have to write material and come up with things. And that's what I've done because I sort of got left out on my own there a little bit after he helped me get going. And uh, it just sort of blossomed. And now I'm, that's all I do full time. My wife stays at home with the kids. And I mean, that's my career. And, and uh, I got, you know, I've got my life outside of my career. And if you want to may explain all that, I can. But that, that's how I got to what I did as a rodeo entertainer. And and I think today it's probably more challenging than than historically uh, with the advent of social media, right? And everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket. And I know we talked a little bit about it on your show. Um, the challenge of entertaining people when they can grab that phone and they can get whatever entertainment they want in the blink yeah, of an eye. Yeah, that's my go-to line, right, when they interview me over, uh, you know, how, what, what kind of material do you have or what do you like about your job? Yeah. What's the most challenging thing you can ever imagine? So, um, a little bit of being candid here in, in my business, there's some events that are, again, they're in that Coliseum and it's a sold out deal. There's 10,000 people. There's this cool lighting package and, uh, amazing line array speakers and it's a you know, $40 ticket to get in. And you feel like when you get there, man, this is a, you made it to the show. And, yeah. Yeah. And they come and they're so pumped for whatever it is you're going to be bringing them. You could almost do a, a decent job and it seems like a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also times where you're at, you're at a county fair and for whatever reason, maybe it rained at two o'clock that day and people decided they didn't think they wanted to go to the fair. And now there's, you know, there's 600 people in the bleachers and you're still got the same really good product that you're a part of. But now you have to make those people believe it because you know how we are as humans, right? You walk in and there's 600 people in a place that holds 5,000. They're looking around like, uh, what's going on here? Is this going to be some kind of fake rodeo or what, you know, what, what are we at? So, uh, you always have to have this mindset that nope, it doesn't matter if there's 10,000 or 10 people. You're one that you're going to entertain them all the same. But yeah, you're exactly right. It's changed from when I started. I could go out and I could tell all these jokes about, you know, my wife got stuck in a phone booth, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And now you just can't. Like that's no one's going to laugh yeah, at that. They've yeah. heard them all. Yeah. And then everyone, you know, you might like baseball. So if you get bored with what I'm doing, you could literally hit the MLB app on your phone. I mean, like you unlock your phone, you push one button. Now you're entertained. Right yeah. in front of you is everything that you care about. So I have to find a way to keep your attention in the downtime of our events. And uh, the I, one way I like to do that is sometimes by not having a plan because people can tell when a joke or comedy or whatever is manufactured. Mm-hmm. And, and when it isn't, I think they're like, what is this guy talking? Wow, Where's that's, this going to go? Yeah, yeah. And, and the only bad thing about that is I fail a lot. Because I'm trying stuff that I don't know if it's going to work or not. Yeah. But I'm, I laugh at myself, so I don't really, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd rather go down swinging than than repeating the same thing over and over again, which I do some of that, too. I do repeat myself some, but. 
I'm so not that, trying to be. That was a yeah. question I wanted to, to ask you. And, and I recently listened to an interview with Kevin Hart and he was talking about the development of material, right? And how he comes up and writes these jokes and stuff that he thinks is funny. And he'll go out and kind of test it at the smaller clubs and the stuff that he gets a good reaction with, right? He develops further. The stuff that's kind of a scratch, well, he just gets gets rid of it. Do you have any kind of method or system into developing some of your content? Or are you experienced enough to the point now where you just go out and you can let it rip and, and come up got, with something, I, you know? The the events are so different, right? So uh, I've, I've done something new this week at the Costa Mesa at the Orange County Fair deal. So I'm working for Fine New Rodeo, and they do – um, five performances. One of them is a Fiesta de Toro, which is a Hispanic day, mm-hmm. uh, and it's quite a bit different, right? And then yeah. there's two nights of Bronx and Bulls, and two nights of what they call Extreme Rodeo. So the Extreme Rodeo is. Uh, have you ever seen the show Jackass? Mm-hmm. All right, it's basically that. It, it's where they got all the Western elements of their show. They actually got from this Orange County Fair. Uh, the Flying Rodeo has. They do like the Ring of Fire, and they put the guys in the bubble suits, and the and they turn Mexican fighting bulls out with them. But uh, in that one, I, I play the role of a referee, right? So he puts a referee shirt on me, and and the audience is split up into groups, like team blue, red, yellow, and white. So I don't even wear makeup for that, and my job is much more of a. All right, here's the next event. We're going to be going into. Uh, the bouncy b- balls, whatever it's called. Yeah. If you touch the other team's color, every time you do that, you're going to get a point. So they're running across the arena with a spool out there. Anyway, so I don't really develop material for that because it's a different animal. Now, the PBR Velocity Tour that I'm on, I have certain activations I have to do, right? So like New Dart is the sponsor, and it's like a, a dart you shoot cattle with that has medicine in it, so you mm-hmm. don't have to rope them in time down anyway. So I come up with the New Dart You Can't Afford to Miss Challenge, and I'll have like an obstacle course or something. And then every city that I go to, I always Wikipedia, and I always look at national day calendars, celebrity birthdays. I look at stuff that there's no way that it could be manufactured. I want people to realize that in like a – in Rochester, New York, they have a, a something called a garbage plate. It's a it's like a hamburger and a hot dog and mustard and chili. It's just, it just looks like garbage. Just the breakfast of champions. Big, yeah, it's their big <laughs> meal there, and everyone yeah. knows that it's just a Rochester thing. So I'll carry one of those out in the arena, or you know, when I'm in Maine, I may I'll have some stuff set up, and I'll I'll go out and put on flannel and. Uh, eat a bunch of blueberries and drink some syrup straight from the bottle and, and just start talking like a mainer. And yeah, I, don't know, yeah. I try to, I try to cater to the audience again. I've, I failed a time or two, <laughs> I promise, but usually it, it makes those people feel like you're there for them. And we are, and I want you to understand that when I'm the entertainer. And it's true. And I think this is a perfect segue into your show roadcast, you know, um, for the entertainer or the athlete that's traveling, right? It just, it life becomes city after city after city after city, right? So for you to start mm-hmm. incorporating kind of the local ties into your, your acts or your performances, you know, I, I think it's more of a, a personal touch on things. And it does, it does give that kind of inviting feel that you as the entertainer do care. Now, I know when you got out on the road, right, you started to, maybe there's a poor choice of words, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but started to kind of take the the entertaining thing and the the traveling thing for granted, right? And maybe you weren't as appreciative of as you should be and you had that light bulb moment and and from that kind of came your podcast uh titled Roadcast. Yeah, you're exactly right. Can you kind of explain the history of that cuz that's what kind of drew me to your show was just a, a very small change in perspective, right? Can create such a more enriching life. 
And, and now you're out talking to people on the road and it's just, it's an incredible show. It's extremely entertaining. It's, it's extremely diverse, right? Although it stays in the Western world, you, you touch on a lot of guests. So let's talk about Roadcast and how that came to be. Yeah, I, uh, you gotta imagine, uh, I kind of told you my story of yeah. start when I'm a teenager. Um, so you can imagine living in North Louisiana. First time I got a phone call, they go to North Arkansas, you know, three and a half, four hour drive away. Whoa, like this is crazy. I'm gonna go way up there and I'm gonna work. Uh, I remember that feeling. I remember walking in that arena and I was physically shaking just because just pure excitement. And then, uh, you know, times changed and I get more and more work. And, um, and I remember like, in, I think it was 2013. I, I get an opportunity to go to, North, to Australia for the first time. And, um, I couldn't believe it until I saw the ticket in my hand. I still thought somebody was joking. Like you're actually going to go to another country to perform. This is so cool. And I, uh, that feeling, I think in anything, I, I'm sure the I got this played major league baseball for, 25 years he starts stepping up to the plate and he's no longer nervous or excited right yeah, so yeah. I, that's sort of what started happening to me i mean i, I would still do be excited and i still am excited when when the anthem ends and it's my turn to walk into an arena but the whole getting to go to a city uh it got a little bit monotonous to me right it was the same building it was the same road it was the same hotel it might just be a different place so um my friends and I had been talking about how podcasts were growing, and uh, I said, "You know what? I'm just going to do one. I'm just, I'm just going to do it." And I'm not really a guy that's a real good decision maker. I'm like that guy that <laughs> I'm always. Uh, like, if I came up with an invention, someone else would actually get it on the market before yeah, I would. Yeah, I hear you. Just I hear I'm, you. A, I'm just not a, a doer sometimes. Yeah. But I said I will be here. I'm going to do this, and uh, so I bought a couple of little cheap pieces of equipment and. Sat in a hotel room in Hampton, Virginia at a bull riding. Got a couple of my buddies together and said, here's what I want to do. Let's just talk. It's going to be roadcast. It's going to be recorded from the road. And on mine, I, I typically don't even uh, edit it. I just let it be what it is. And, um, yeah, I want it to be sort of that I don't have to go. I get to go feel. Because yeah. that's, that's what helps me look around and say, uh, you, you were talking about my my different guests. So uh, if I, this rodeo here in California, there's not a lot of big name contestants because it's just a one hour showdio, but there's a guy named Kent Lane that I've done a podcast with. Um, he, he skydives in with the American flag. And, uh, I didn't know until I had him on my podcast, he was the CEO of Oakley. And he's also the first guy ever in the history of humans, as far as he knows to base jump. Jesus. Just jumped right off of... It's a little bit of a uh, resume. Yeah, he jumped off El Capitan in Yosemite, like the first guy to do it. He was telling me how he... Uh, he's, he's jumping down. And so this, there's, a, there's a film about it. It was in the 60s. So I guess there's some guy climbing up, and he jumps down, and it's never been done. So the guy climbing just sees a human falling. He said he hadn't deployed his chute yet. He just looks at the guy and goes, oh, like screams <laughs> like he's falling, <laughs> and just as a joke. Uh, um, so you, you meet these people yes. out on the road, and it, I would have never thought Kent, Kent I had met and known him. Um, he's very soft-spoken, very quiet. He's in his mid-60s, um, and he still jumps, by the way, in his 60s. But I, I just didn't know how interesting he was. So I started realizing I can have these conversations with people, and it's just amazing the 
uh, e- even people that you don't expect to be interesting. Yeah. Um, they, they are. So it's been a really good thing for me and it gives me something to look forward to every day. I'm looking right now and, uh, by the pool, I'm going to do an interview with the guy I'm looking at. Uh, his name is Manu Latost. He's, uh, He's from France, and he jumps over bulls. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that. But oh, yeah. I see him in I'm the doing Grand Nationals a few times. That's absolutely incredible what he does. Yeah. I bet he's over there eating a – what do they eat from a crepe? Crepe. I'm going to throw a biscuit at him and tell him it's America. He need to eat a biscuit. <laughs> you can have crepes when you go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he's an incredible former in his own right. You know, I seen him at the Grand Nationals this last year, and uh, – you know, they put him out there with that fighting bull and he's flying all over the place doing all his acrobats and stuff. And uh, I don't think people, I mean, it's entertaining nonetheless, but I don't think people really understand what goes on to that. And and until yeah. you stand down in an arena next to a bucking bull or a fighting bull alike, uh, it'll change your opinion of, of how tough some of these suckers are. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had to help him here. So anybody that... Um looks me up or knows who I am or anything like that, you're going to see a rodeo clown, right? A guy in makeup and an athletic uniform and in the arena with bulls. But to tell you a little bit about me personally, I'm terrified of them. Like for real. <laughs> Rightfully, so. Rightfully never, so. I've never been an athlete as far as that goes. Never got played baseball and things growing up. Uh, no, I don't want any part of them. Well, Manu, the bull jumper, he had me help him here the last two nights. So my job is to get the bull to chase me in a straight line so that he's got a good opportunity to jump and do his acrobatics over the bull. So, yeah, I'm living on the edge out here in Costa Mesa. And I mean, I, uh, I know I got two more performances. So, Well, I'm glad we got this recording in. <laughs> yeah, because I... Not to wish you the best luck or anything. <laughs> I think maybe maybe it'll just get be my legs. I can still talk to you. Oh, my Lord. Uh, <laughs> what kind of pit did you have in your stomach when he uh, asked you to do that? So for people that don't know or have not seen this performance, basically a, a bullfighter or a clown gets out in the arena and entices this bull to, to start making a run at him. And then Manu makes his approach and obviously does all his crazy acrobats over it. So your job is literally to draw the attention of a bull and then, I guess, run for your life, yeah? Yeah, so so Manu is uh, an Olympic level gymnast. I am a thirty seven year old pudgy father of two. <laughs> we're gonna mix that together in the arena with a fighting bull. He's waving at me now. Uh, we're gonna mix that together in the arena with a fighting bull, but he's gonna get all the glory basically. Yeah, uh, and uh, and I'm gonna try to live through it. We'll, we'll, so uh, we'll put up yeah, Matt Merritt he, for a uh, best supporting role in that. How about that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll get residuals. Yeah, ain't that the truth. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff so where can where can people find roadcast pretty much anywhere where po- uh, podcasts are available right so you can go to uh, google play uh, iHeartRadio, itunes and it's all one word just roadcast because the idea is that uh, i record it from the road and uh, i don't edit or anything like that so it's sometimes raw sometimes audio uh is a little bit you know so there may be a pizza delivered to the hotel room while we're there or you just never really know but I really interviewed some neat people, Cotton Rosser, uh, if you don't know who he is, he's, he's, oh, he's 91 years old. Rodeo history. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. in every Hall of Fame there ever has been, a bunch of world champion athletes, um, and then every now and then, I, I've got, I interviewed the guy that came up with the idea for that house in the woods, that, that hunting place that I yeah, went up to. Yeah, Maine. Yeah, he lost his son uh, in Afghanistan, and he's got a pretty powerful story. So, so I don't necessarily have like a plan on my podcast. It's not like 
I don't know. Some some day some days it's a couple cowboys that are cussing a little bit and and just letting them be who they are and they're telling their story. Maybe they've got a crazy history or you know wild wild tales from the road. And then the very next day, you know, I may I may be with someone that's created a foundation to stop childhood cancer and we're talking about things like that. Uh, I just let it be what it is on the road because because I I want to remember how blessed I am to have the life that I get to live and meet the people that I meet and. Uh, I think sharing that with other people helps me. So it's a little bit selfish, but it's what I do. No, I have I have the same feelings towards my show here here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast. And just that is it. There are so many amazing people in the Western industry, right? Whether, whether it's pro rodeo or rough stock or timed events, or you start getting into this performance horse stuff, you know, and all of us get so caught up in our own agendas and our own schedules because we have to do that, right? To make money and survive. But every now and again, it's nice to just sit down with somebody and get to know them you know, and, oh, and yeah, hear their story. And, and so many people have such an amazing testimony, but the rest of us don't really sit down and take a chance and, and figure it out. Well, my grandfather told me, he said, uh, you need to take something from every man you, you meet. And I don't mean out of his pocket. And it kind of took me a while for that to, it's always kind of been in the back of my head that he said that. And, and uh, it's resonating now with me what that means. Like, so Manu, who I'll interview in a little while, um, He's a very spiritual, uh, serious athlete when it comes to what he does. And uh, unlike most rodeo competitors, right, where they're just kind of living by the seat of their pants. So the guys that I interviewed, this guy, he doesn't want to work out two or three times a day. He has meals at certain times. He's he's Catholic, but he sets up all his uh, rosaries and his – everything in his trunk when he's out getting ready and he he prays a certain way and prepares in a certain way and – just his mind and the way that he approaches things is so interesting. I can't wait just to to dive into that yeah, with him. Yeah, it's incredible. And like you said, with the people that we meet, uh, you you don't know what they're like or the way they think. And you know, I've also had interviews with people that I thought it was going to be the most interesting guy in the world. And you're like, so how were you raised? On a ranch. <laughs> yeah. Are like you, uh, we got 45 minutes, buddy. So uh, yeah. can you help me out here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, good stuff. So in going through your uh, career as a rodeo entertainer, who have been some of the more influential people in your life and, and why? Well, I uh, would probably – my wife has molded me a lot uh, into what I am. I'm, I, again, I'm 37. I've been married 15 years. So you, you got to realize that we've been together a long time. I've now been with my wife 17 years, uh, dating included. So probably been with her as long as I was with my, my mom right back home. And we became adults together and built a life together. And, um, I put her up there on the top of the list. And then there was a guy, if you ever look at my makeup, there's a bunch of letters on there and they're probably going to be backwards to anyone looking at them because I do it in a mirror. It's my little preparation thing. But uh, there's a G and a C on my face, and I always do it in – typically I do it in black because he's passed away. But Gary Crocker was his name. Um, he was this rodeo clown in the 60s. Loretta Lynn used to put on rodeos, and he would work those for her. He also uh, was a culinary master, and he cooked for President Carter. And um, Oh, wow. Just this very interesting old guy that had been around and – I met him in North Carolina, and he lived in like a refurbished tobacco barn. And inside the tobacco barn was rodeo memorabilia, like a museum that he'd collected over the years. And 
he uh he's one of those guys that wouldn't let the truth get in the way of a good story and always entertaining and you go he'd cook for people and you go over to his house and he could turn you know a london broil and two carrots into this five course meal somehow and man i just remember sitting at his house over and over again in my younger 20s my wife and i were just together and he'd he'd just tell me tricks of the trade or not even tricks of the trade but just how to be a good man you know go out and dig a hole and fill it back up just to make yourself sweat today don't just lay around and you know how a 20 year old kid is it's getting paid to work four hours a week i i needed somebody to help me and he was a really good guy and he always had a bible on his uh on his bar and he would drink whiskey and cuss but then if you wanted to talk about that bible he was right there and he wasn't ashamed of who he was and i'm not saying that's the right or the wrong thing but i just really looked up to that guy because he was he was very real he wasn't he wasn't one way on wednesday and a different way on sunday you know what i'm saying yeah which is some somewhat hard to find nowadays you know yeah, and I'm not I'm not promoting drink drinking a bunch of whiskey and reading your Bible, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not that's not what he did. I, he, you know what I mean? He be he was who he was. He just was an honest guy. He was true to who he was. Yeah, he was an honest guy. He never never really hurt nobody or nothing. But I don't know. Very special to me that guy was, and uh, I enjoyed all the time that I had with him, and he helped me a lot. That's for sure. It's good stuff. So as we kind of get towards the end of the show, um, I like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of sell themselves, right? We've talked a lot about your uh, performing and your entertainment and stuff like that. Where can people find you on social media? And and do you have any websites available so people can consume more content or, or find out where you're performing throughout the year? Yeah. Uh, so um, Matt Merritt, it's M-A-T-T-M-E-R-R-I-T-T and the number eight is my uh, Instagram and my Twitter um, on Facebook, it's Matt Merritt, professional rodeo and bull riding entertainer. Um, yeah, and uh, I have a website. I think it's mattmerrittentertainment.com, but it doesn't have a whole lot on it. I, I social media is pretty much where I, where I operate now. And uh, yeah, I work. I work as much as I possibly can. So I work hundreds of performances a year. Um, anybody listening, if you're ever around, come up and say hi to me. I, I love meeting people and, and all that stuff pretty easy to recognize hopefully i'm the only guy with makeup on at most places you go well being in california that might get confusing at times huh? <laughs> the interesting thing is is it's california so legally you're not allowed to judge me either yeah, way that's true yeah <laughs> i apologize if i just offended you <laughs> good stuff so in closing i like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of leave their legacy or parting words you know kind of words of wisdom in your experience throughout your career and throughout life what are some things that you would like to share with folks uh, to help develop them? And, and what kind of legacy would you like to leave? Ooh, uh, so, unfortunately, I asked the same question at the end of my podcast to everybody. And I have not got a really good answer prepared, so I'll just try to be real with you. Yeah, I would say that uh, I want to treat this like my two daughters are listening in 50 years, right? And they, want, they just hear dad's voice. Uh, I would say question everything everything except the bible i mean everything if somebody tells you this trash can is for recycling look down in it and see if they're lying or not like because the world is crazy like everything that you run across you honestly have to question it um the food that they tell you is healthy today will be bad for you tomorrow you know climate's doing this one day it's doing this 20 years later just slow down. Don't get caught up in the hype of everything that's going on around you and question everything. Make your own educated decision about it. I don't care 
politically or whatever, what side of the fence you end up on. I just want you to question it and be true to yourself, except for the Bible. Don't ever question that. And then I would also say to anybody, uh, I think everyone should probably live just to see how big a funeral they can have. It's a good way so, to put it. Absolutely. Yeah, That's a good way to put it. When it's all said and done, if, if I had 2,500 people show up to see me go, I think that's pretty cool. No, you know? it's, it's, it's a it's a huge change of perspective I've had throughout my life. You know, it, early on you, and you probably experienced the same trying to develop your career, right? It's kind of about you. Where can I get to? What can I do? Um, yeah. But as I walk through life, uh, I I ask myself, how many people, how many people can I impact, right? How many mm-hmm. lives can I change? Can I leave a lasting impression that, that influences an individual in a positive manner, you know? And I think if you place a priority on that, uh, you'll start to fill those seats at the funeral when the day comes, huh? Yeah, and I know that might sound a little funny, but if uh, if you think about it, it's it's kind of cool, you know. Man, yeah. they must have loved that guy, or he must have done yeah. done well, or treated people right, or or whatever, because people are paying their respects. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a kind of an interesting view, I think. It's great. That's it. Well, Matt, I sure appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule for us here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We very much enjoyed sitting down with you over the last hour or so. We wish you the best of luck, especially uh, in the rest of your 60 days out on the road and hopefully get back to family and and a normal way of life. Yeah, man, same here. Thanks for having me on and letting me talk about what it is that I do so much. I appreciate that. uh, Good luck in your future endeavors. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. See you, pal. Have a good one. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.